Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Inside Update, brought to you by InsideInvestigator.org, nonprofit journalism to root out corruption in Connecticut. I'm going to skip the rest of the spiel today. You already know you could donate and subscribe on the website. Uh, we want to get right into the three topics we have on the list. First, what happened in the legislative special session this week? Second, a closer look at Trisha's closer look at Yukon's Puppet Museum. <laughs> going to dig into that. And finally, we're going to be checking in on a new lawsuit following Mark's DCF-funded shelter investigation from a few weeks ago. We talked about it while he wasn't here, but now we get to get more out of him. So I'm looking forward to that. Let's start with the special session, though. I know this was a big topic, came at a governor's proclamation. Uh, Catherine, what, what, what actually happened on the floor there? Yeah, so basically the, you know, kind of headline of the special session was moving the date of Connecticut's presidential preference primary forward, which if you watch the session, you pretty much wouldn't know because I think they spent about 10 minutes discussing it. Um, you know, the big headline of the day was really the ongoing scandal in in Bridgeport, um, as well as um, the use of absentee ballot drop boxes. Um, and so basically what happened was um, Republicans in both chambers um, attempted to, um, well, let me back up a little bit. So one of the items in the proclamation was for funding for an election monitor, specifically for Bridgeport, Bridgeport giving um, funding to the Secretary of State's office specifically for that position. So legislative Republicans kind of seized on this to ask a bunch of questions and to, you know, bring in what's going on in in Bridgeport. Um, and they attempted to introduce a bunch of amendments to the legislation that was dealing with this and and a couple of other things um, that would have, you know, either completely gotten rid of absentee ballot drop boxes or, you know, somehow changed the way that they're used. Uh, most of these amendments were, you know, not allowed because they didn't have anything to do with the special session, right? In a special session, the legislature has to stick to specifically what's in the governor's proclamation, because if they don't, right, it's basically open season and anybody can bring in anything and we would probably still be watching that session. Um, but uh, so basically, you know, Democrats' response to this was, you know, this isn't in the proclamation, you know, what's going on in Bridgeport is still an ongoing investigation and we don't have all the facts yet, you know, and it's not necessarily appropriate to try to legislate on this without the benefit of a legislative hearing and letting the public have their input. So ultimately, even though, um, you know, everything that or most of the things that were in the governor's proclamation ended up being passed, um, those efforts to, you know, alter how absentee ballot drop boxes are used were not. Wow. Okay. So I feel like I've been hearing about the absentee ballot and Dropbox stuff for years now. I mean, Mark might, you've seen this in Connecticut for a long time. I know we've all seen it in other states, but this seems like it's just kind of a continuation of what has been a long standing point of contention for elections here, right? Well, I mean, depends on how you define long. I mean, these things came out during COVID, right? And you know, the point, you know, because I watched I watched some of the hearing as well. And that point was made on the House floor that, you know, this is a holdover from COVID. Is it is it, you know, is it necessary given the potential security issues surrounding them? Um, I mean, it was even, you know, those those kind of issues were even raised during uh, COVID and the elections that that happened during those years. Um, but, you know, everybody deferred in the name of safety to having these drop boxes. 
now they're still here. So, I mean, a lot of things that we had during COVID, we don't have anymore, but we still have those. Was there any indication about where it's going to go? Uh, like, I obviously they couldn't deal with this because of the special session, but I expect that this is going to come up again at some point in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. I would expect that this will come up during the next session, right? Again, numbers aren't necessarily on the Republican side in the legislature. So, you know, unless something shifts between then and now, I wouldn't expect that we're going to have a much different result than we did this past week. And, you know, it's going to be coming up in the uh, the 2024 election because there's going to be a, um, a vote held on whether to amend the state constitution to allow for essentially no no excuse absentee ballots so you know this this is going to be with us for a little while and you know to Catherine's point you know the democrats like this you know they they want to keep those drop boxes they want to keep the absentee ballot votes and the republicans aren't in much of a position to push back on that all right it's good stuff. Thank you both uh, for a for watching, but also uh, that was some good reporting. I really enjoyed that, Catherine. Um, let's <laughs> Trisha. I mean, puppets are probably second to clowns uh, in terms of creepy in my book, but it seems like you actually had a good time exploring this museum. Uh, tell us a little bit about this inside oddities. Um, yeah, I I did have a good time exploring the puppet museum. Um, it's part of the University of Connecticut out in stores. It's a very small area. It's just a couple of rooms and they have some, you know, additional areas in the back with the performance space and the workshop. Um, but I agree with you that puppets are very creepy. Um, I definitely think clowns are worse, um, but you know, they're people. And also there isn't a Stephen King book about, uh, about puppets. I don't think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That's good. Um, surprisingly anyway. <laughs> um, but, uh, in, this, in the same like way that I'm creeped out by certain types of puppets, mostly marionettes, I find them to be kind of in the uncanny valley um, and very disturbing, although very effective um, if you're trying to be creepy. There are other puppets that people love, right? Like Sesame Street and um, the Muppets in general, anything Jim Henson. I am a big fan of the Jim Henson Creature Shop, which is not just, you know, Sesame Street and the Muppets, but it's actually things like the Dark Crystal um, and, you know, things that were done that way one of my favorite shows as a you know a teenager was farscape which has a whole bunch of these like giant animatronic puppets and going to the puppet museum allowed me to sort of uh get a better understanding for people who a study puppetry and also people who perform and like learn how to make puppets and learn how to do you know this actually very in some ways ancient type of storytelling um, you know, so I spoke to their executive director, uh, who is also a puppeteer um, and has been doing that for a very long time about sort of like the role that puppetry can play, the things that we learn from it, the, you know, we're constantly learning new ways that people have used them in the past. Um, right now, they have a display of these leather painted shadow puppets from India. And in South and Southeast Asia, this is like a long term tradition. I also I had originally learned about these types of um, these types of puppet shows when I was in Indonesia years ago um, for a different thing. But we had toured a place that makes these puppets and they are, you know, a way to tell mytho mythological stories, right, which are about teaching kids lessons or, you know, teaching people morality tales or, or, you know, like carrying on this tradition. And they've been in use for, you know, an extremely long time and are still a tradition that's being passed down um, through families that are, you know, part of this tradition. 
Um, so that's one of the ways that it's very cool. But in our conversation, we also talked about how like puppetry doesn't just have to mean hand puppets, right? It doesn't have to mean shadow puppets. It doesn't have to be marionettes, which just, you know, scare me. Um, it can also be things like sports mascots, right? Anything that's a character that is being puppeted in some way um, counts to them, like any kind of material performance. And it was just this really fascinating conversation about the way that like, even if you don't think you're engaging in puppetry, maybe sometimes you are and the it's not just kids stuff and, you know, the different ways that people have found to like tell stories and to talk about important issues, difficult things, um, you know, to bring humor. I'm thinking about things like Broadway's Avenue Q, like all these different ways that we've used puppets to tell different kinds of stories. And, you know, um, and it's, it was really fascinating. It was a it was a cool place to to walk around and talk. It's a nice short trip and they're constantly changing their exhibits. I have not thought about Avenue Q in years. That is a throwback <laughs> reference. Uh, yeah, that's a really good call. There's a lot more to that. Uh, I was surprised, actually. I was like, oh, this will be interesting. You're looking at a museum. But, I mean, you jam-packed it full of all kinds of different little tidbits. It was a really good read. Yeah, I mean, he told me about some of his colleagues, not necessarily at UConn, but other people who study material culture and other people who study um, puppetry as a as an art form um, and as a, like a cultural touchstone for a lot of people. And, you know, he talked about one of his colleagues who's written a book about material, co material culture in Star Wars. So you think about like R2-D2 and C-3PO and, you know, all of these characters, even Darth Vader, who they're not people, right? Like they don't have a face, they don't emote. And yet we love them for some reason. Like, you know, how many people fell in love with BB-8 when the new series came out, right? Because he has a personality, even though he's not a person. Um, so it was really interesting to talk about all those different ways that we connect with characters that aren't real. Um, and we talked about, you know, how people who've interacted or performed with the Muppets or Sesame Street characters find themselves having conversations off camera with the puppets, not with the puppeteer who's controlling them. You know, like they'll ask them questions and the puppeteer is answering, but like is underneath this character, even though they're talking directly to Elmo or, you know, Kermit or whoever. Uh, Trisha, am I wrong? Is is that the only puppeteering program in the United States? It's not the only puppeteering program in the oh. United States, but it is one of the few places where you can actually get a degree in puppetry. Um, they have it both as part of their dramatic arts program, where like, you can study puppetry performance, but you can also study like building puppets and you know learning how to use different styles and different you know learning how to make the felt puppets that they use the henson stitch or using learning how to make you know other other types of puppets to tell those stories and it's for people that like really want to get staffed making puppets or building puppets or you know doing all of this different stuff that you can use in a variety of formats to variety of different like performance styles have they have they, have they considered adding government into their study of puppetry I don't, I don't I don't know you'd have to I'd have to ask him you know I have to go back there and ask just had to say it you're good no it's good yeah you got, it's intrusive thoughts you got to get them out you know <laughs> uh speaking of uh, I guess let's let's shift over to Mark and really drag him uh down a little bit here uh <laughs> having to talk about a lawsuit uh this is the penalty obviously for making jokes on this program where there's no no laughter uh no humor Exactly. Um, in all seriousness, uh, we did talk about your investigation. Uh, obviously, you weren't here the last time we recorded. 
you came back from vacation and you hit the ground running with a new investigation that's coming out this Sunday on the family court stuff. And also this article following up on your uh, last investigation. I'm glad you're here to give us the update, though. What's going on? Sure. So, I mean, after our investigation into the um, Star Home in Harwinton, a DCF funded shelter for girls, uh, there's, you know, the Republicans issued a couple calls for informational hearings, public hearings uh, to get to the bottom of what's going on. Uh, Whether or not that'll happen, we don't know. But what also happened is a lawsuit was filed by one of the girls who had been staying there uh, during the time period I was writing about. She was there from May of 2023 to July of 2023, basically up until DCF came in and just kind of pulled the plug on the place. Um, And the argument is that you were supposed to keep my daughter safe, my 14-year-old daughter safe, and instead... She was exposed to uh, sexual abuse. It does not say that she was actually sexually abused, but she was exposed to it. Um, During that time period, we know that the state police arrested a staff member for sexually abusing four of the girls there, Um, that she was exposed to illegal behaviors. We know that several of the girls went AWOL, stole vehicles uh, from the staff members there, and that she was if not exposed, if not part of this, exposed to it. And she was also there for the great uh, brawl that happened uh, when they had to call in God knows how many state troopers and ambulances from all over the place to try to get things back under control. There were multiple assaults, multiple arrests, and it would have been, it, it occurred during the time period that she was staying there. So essentially, you know, the argument is that, you know, DCF is supposedly, you know, removing these girls from horrendous situations. I mean, they're definitely removing them from horrendous situations, but with the, under the auspices of we're going to put them someplace safe and therapeutic for a while till, till we can figure things out. And that environment, uh, at least during the past two to three years in Harwinton has proven to not be as safe and therapeutic as it probably should be as evidenced by the fact that you know, DCF has essentially shut it down, leaving only one girl staying there until the Bridge Family Center, which runs the shelter, can get things back under control. Uh, when that when that, that's going to happen, we don't know. Uh, and, you know, Bridge Family Center was uh, able to get a statement to us uh, basically saying that, you know, they've never had a lawsuit of this type before. Uh, and you know, they're going to, they're making whatever, you know, corrections they can to, to get the shelter back to where it needs to be. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, everything, obviously the girl and her mother are anonymous in this, uh, this lawsuit, uh, which is understandable, but you know, one of the things when I, I was kind of reflecting on that, when they say they'd never been sued, and I was thinking about like, what are the types of, you know, girls that are being placed in these shelters or kids, you know, because they run boys shelters too. I mean, these are, these are generally adolescents with nobody to really advocate for them. Um, You know, they're being taken away from horrendous family situations and being put into foster situations. So even if they had a terrible experience at one of these shelters um, or any of them across the state, who's there to, 
advocate for that? Who's going to file that lawsuit? Who's going to say something? Because they're going from one situation where they're not being cared for to another situation where it might be a temporary, you know, foster home or something like that. They're not going to step up to to do something like this. So, yeah, I mean, I you know, you've never had a lawsuit, and that's great. But also, like, who was there to really do it um, on behalf of these these kids? So, you know, we're going to wait and see. We're going to keep following that story. Is the DCF have oversight responsibility on the, like, do you know anything about the check-ins or so? You know, it kind of reminds me that, you know, who watches the watchers or great power, great responsibility type stuff. Someone. Oh, they, oh no, they absolutely, they absolutely have oversight. This is, this is a contractor, you know, they, 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 they get their, this is the, you know, bridge family center, you know, they set up their operations to run these things. They get, they, they contract with DCF to run, you know, run this shelter for a certain amount of money. Um, and yeah, it, DCF does have oversight and, you know, bridge family has their own, you know, management structure. Uh, and it just seems like, you know, even though these very similar issues came to the forefront in 2022, they had some meetings with town officials and DCF, things kind of quieted it down and then ramped right back up again in 2023. So it's not like, this is brand new. This has been going on for a little while. They've been aware of it. Um, and whatever steps they took in 2022 to try to get control over this place again, apparently didn't work. Um, so now outside contractors are being called in, consultants to try to figure out how to best maintain safety at this shelter so that it can reopen. But yeah, this is, this is uh, you know, all their, all their residents are under the care and custody of DCF. Thank you, uh, all, all three of you, truly, for for looking into these. I feel like these were three really important topics uh, that, you know, otherwise probably would not have been covered. And that's obviously what we try to do at CII. But uh, I really appreciate that uh, boots on the ground approach to digging deeper on things that other folks uh, can't or won't. Um, other questions uh, related to any of these or anything else that that folks should know about headed into uh, this coming week. Mm. All right. I don't have any particular headlines that I think people should know about, but I also <laughs> I always want to be anytime I talk about oddities, I always want to ask people to like send me oddities. Um, you know, most of the time I'm finding things, you know, through Google searches, through, you know, guidebooks, things like that. Um, I love the Atlas Obscura website. They have so many cool things that some people don't know about, some people do. But oftentimes these are things that are slightly in the public attention, right? I'd love to do things that no one knows about. Um, you know, is there someone with an interesting collection? Is there a location you think is cool or has an interesting history? Is there local lore that I should be talking about? You know, um, I would love to hear more about that. So, you know, send us those tips as well as your corruption tips. Those would be fun. Along along the lines of what Trish just said, I, I have to say that I did get a few emails after the DCF investigation came out with people saying, hey, you know, my kid was put here, you know, and I've been having these issues with DCF. Um, I have yet to get a response from those people because I, you know, I emailed them back and, you know, I'm interested, obviously, to follow up. Um, but I understand that these are private matters and, you know, can involve some sensitive issues. So, but if anybody else is out there, you know, please feel free. I'm, I am interested in, you know, pursuing this. Absolutely. 
as always, I mean, there. this is just a fraction of the articles that are published on insideinvestigator.org. Uh, these three are, are publishing new content every single day on top of writing investigations uh, in long form style as well. Um, a big thank you to each of you who are subscribers, who watch this, our donors uh, who allow us to do this work every single day. We're a nonprofit newsroom, so it means the world to have your support. Uh, as we wake up every morning knowing that we have the financial means and business resources to actually do the job and do it right. And a huge thank you to all of you for watching Inside Update. We'll be back in two weeks. And until then, be well, stay safe, and stay informed.